I'm Carrington Vanston. I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast, where Mike and I play classic arcades and then we podcast about them. So it's got a pretty good tagline, I think. Well, it's convenient that we named it the No Quarter Podcast, then, isn't it? It is. Yes, it is. And so how you doing, Mike? Oh, I've had a rough week. How about you, Carrington? I've had a smooth week. Well, then that all sort of balances out. So together we are mildly bumpy. <laughs> no, my week's been awesome. And this weekend coming up, or this weekend just passed for our listeners, <laughs> since mm, we, podcast, yes. we, we publish later, uh, though we record on Thursday this week, uh, record on random days, it seems. Yeah, pretty much. But this weekend coming up for me in the future of Carrington Land is Fan Expo here in Toronto, which is our, our big comic book and horror and science fiction and sports and anime and everything else fandom convention. And I've got a big four-day pass for it, and I can't wait. That sounds awesome. It is super awesome. It is, like most big cons, too busy. There are too many other people who share my loves. But it's also really fun to be around thousands of people who won't mock me for non-ironically gushing with fandom about something absolutely yeah yeah, so i'm really really looking forward to it. i particularly dig the sci-fi horror and comic parts of it so that's mostly what i go for but there's lots of there's lots of great panels and and discussions on things and and uh, hands-on stuff and gaming like there's a huge gaming part of as well so I'll, i'll go and play a bunch of rpgs and tabletop games and hang out with people in costume and you know just it's gonna be great now is this going to be like uh the montreal expos we're yes. we talking about a different kind of exposition. It's exactly, here. it's exactly like that, and and soon it will be sold to another city. <laughs> I'll be very disappointed. Aww. Aww. So yeah, I'm really, really, really excited. Sweet. Well, you have to yeah. tell us all about it. So that's what's coming up, and that's kind of kind of made my week all the extra good because I I spend the whole week in anticipation of heading heading over to there. So I'm uh, really looking forward to it. You sort of walk around with like a nervous pee thing going on. <laughs> usually, yes. <laughs> Why do you ask? Oh, you mean you mean in this particular context? No more than usual. I see. Is my answer to that? Well, yes. we're just going to move right along. <laughs> I think that is a wise decision. <laughs> so, shall we talk about news? Oh, sure. Why not? You got any? Uh, I do. I got a news from last week that you came up with. I did. But then we forgot to talk about it. But I thought it was interesting enough that we should bring it up now anyway. And it's from Kotaku.com. There's an article entitled Inside North Korea's Newest Video Game Arcade. And it's got a bunch of photos of the country's what seems to be a government-controlled arcade. <laughs> so according to uh, Yonhap, which I guess is the country's government-controlled media, they've put out a press release or, or something about this new arcade, which is open, which attracts thousands of people every day. Thousands, Mike, thousands of people. But when you see the photos of it, it doesn't really look that big. And they're clearly like sort of staged. And if you look, it's like all these people are in that corner and they're and playing this game. Now all these people are in that corner and they're playing the game. And it's so obviously so staged that it kind of is fun because you'll see a, a photo of one person playing the game and then a whole family. And it's like all generations will be gathered around them with rapt smiles and pointing at the screen. And looking. It's, it's right out of like an, an 80s arcade like ad or something. But it's also kind of quaintly charming. <laughs> like it's kind of neat to look at, even though I understand that it's mostly about oppression. So it's not that charming, but um, <laughs> still kind of neat. So it's it's definitely worth checking out because it, it gave me a chuckle. Well, and Kim Jong-il created video games. Didn't you know that? He did indeed and has the highest score 
on all, all of games. Them. Yes. yes, in all of them combined. He usually, I think he played them all at once. He'd tie all the joysticks together. And uh, yeah. He created all the cabinets, wrote all the code, everything. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty productive fellow. <laughs> And now back to real news. And real news. Uh, also in real news, there is a Kickstarter, which is not doing too well so far. And I haven't pledged to it myself, but I'm still going to talk about it because it's it's for an upcoming film that I think, like most film Kickstarters, it's a film that's going to be produced whether or not it's successful in Kickstarter. So that extra motivates me not to contribute, even though I'm <laughs> off Kickstarter anyway. But I like the idea of this. It's called Man vs. Snake, The Long and Twisted Tale of Nibbler. So it's two fellows. Their names are Skeller and Kinsey. And I can't, they're famous for doing something. Some other movie thing. I can't remember what. Doesn't matter. The, the tagline is the inspirational and outrageous true story of one man's quest for the highest video game score ever. So it really is a Kim Jong-il sort of thing. So there's this game called Nibbler, which is kind of a, a snake game. You know, you're, you mm -hmm. go around in a maze and right. gobble things up. It's one of the few, maybe one of the only arcade games where you can actually score over 1 billion points. Wow. So you keep playing. And there is a fellow who way back in the day scored a billion points. He lived in a small town in America and he got the official score. And there's all this archive footage of him being in the news and stuff and, and you know, Twin Galaxies leeching right on him and, and doing their Twin Galaxies sort of thing. So this is a modern day documentary about this guy. So it talks about his original quest to get the billion points and then how three or six months later or so a fellow in, in Italy then beat his score. <laughs> so got a, got a more than a billion. And so, and that, that other score has stood the time. So this guy now 30 years later decides, you know what? I think I can do better. So he's going back and it's another one of these movies, you know, yet again about somebody trying to get a high score. But in this case, it's a fellow who's, you know, 30 years later going back to the same game he once got a billion points on and it's him trying to best the billion two or something that the fellow in Italy has. But the twist is there's another guy who sort of is the, the Billy Mitchell of this movie. looks <laughs> kind of slimy, highly competitive. And he's like, you know what? I'm the best video game player anywhere. I'm taking this guy down. I'm going to get a better score right now while he's doing his score. And so they do like a head to head thing. So it's, you know, it's the usual battle of arcaders, but it's got, I don't know. There's something about it that made it really funny. And, Another twist is the fellow who got the high score, like our, our hero from back in the 80s, who, who's going to try to once again get more of a billion. His name is Tim McVeigh. So now he's not the Timothy McVeigh, mostly known for being a terrorist. Well, I should hope he's not. just coincidentally another Timothy <laughs> it McVeigh. Might be hard to, it, it might be hard to root for him. <laughs> It makes it kind of weird to like watch it though. And so Timothy McVeigh is going for the <laughs> point. I was like, am I rooting for him? I, I guess I'm rooting for him. And then, anyway, the whole thing's kind of strange. Yeah. So that's on Kickstarter. We'll have a link in the show notes. What about you? Do you have any newses? I don't. Well, I think I've got more. I could dig deep. I got some. There's a good article by a fellow named Mitchell Bowman that I, I stumbled on, by which I mean I was bored at work and looking on Reddit. And, so, and, and he wrote an article called The Arcade and What We Stand to Lose Along With It. It's on a site called unwinnable.com, which is a good domain name, I think. And it builds itself as being about games, comics, and pop culture. And we'll have a link to this particular article. And it's just about a fellow who has been going to the same arcade forever and ever and ever. And it's a game that opened in the early 70s. So this has been around for a long time and it's still there. 
still owned by the same fellow, and he kind of stopped making changes to it in the mid-90s, which is unfortunate because it's mostly just full of mid-90s games. So it's got one Miss Pac-Man and everything else is beyond an era that I'm interested in. But it's interesting in that this article is making the case that when you see arcades, you should drop in on them because it's going to be the, a case soon. You won't necessarily be able to have that original experience anymore. Certainly can't here in Toronto. And he's saying the reason to drop into arcades, whether they're good or they're bad or whatever games are there, is just to get another little bit of that experience to hold on to the memory because soon they will be gone. So it's not a very happy uh, article and I don't know if I necessarily agree with them. It's whole barcade thing going on and that kind of stuff. So the arcade itself though, because of this article, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes, it got me wondering, well, where is this arcade? So I did a search for it. It's the arcade is called um, movie land. It's the movie land arcade. And so I found an, a short article about the movie land arcade sign there's a website called The Visible City, Vancouver's Neon Stories. So it turned out this arcade is in Vancouver. And there's a site all about neon signs in Vancouver. <laughs> Boy, there's a site about everything, man. And so, and I liked this site's description of the arcade because it puts a whole other twist on it. It says a notoriously reclusive man named Jack Jung, or maybe Jack Young, opened Movie Land in 1972 and continues to operate it today. Little has changed in four decades since the arcade opened its doors from the vintage of the video games to the eight man, eight millimeter peep shows in the back. Today, Movie Land is the, is the last home of eight millimeter peep show film booths in the world. So there's that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just kind of, I thought it was funny because last week you were talking about how the two up is about to expand and, and take over and kick out a porno theater. And here's a fellow who just wanted, you know, have his cake and ooh, 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 it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the, the two up actually uh, it didn't kick the porn theater out. The DEA did. And the space then became conveniently vacant and they bought it. Oh, was that what the sign said conveniently vacant. I think, with actually, it. I think the sign said seized by order of the Drug Enforcement Agency. Ooh, fancy. Mm, something like Boy, that. Boy, I know that sign well. Yeah, well, you sell enough meth out of the back room and eventually somebody's going to come knocking Can on your door. Can you ever really sell enough meth out of the back room? Like, we've had this discussion before. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and so I found a, a walkthrough from the Movie Land Arcade on YouTube. Then I say, again, if you're ever interested in a place, somebody has walked around it with a video camera and posted on YouTube. Uh, and that's what got me disappointed because it all sounded kind of interesting and sleazy and fun, but the games aren't that exciting. They're only true classic game there is a miss pac-man yeah so i don't think it's worth a trip to vancouver alas but it's at uh, 906 granville street in vancouver if you are in that city though if you're looking for your own arcade games and something uh of a classic era the, i found a site when i was looking around trying to find information about this week's cabinet and where i could find one and who sells them mm -hmm. so i found a site that was selling one called findarcademachines.com oh, cool. and it's a site that will find you an arcade machine so if that's, you're looking for an arcade machine awesome. I know it does prepare for disappointment. So for now we will enjoy the awesomeness and later I will yank the rug out of that. So this is a site where if you want a game, they say, you know, why go searching the, the auctions yourself and looking around and try to find it locally. You go to them. That's what they do for a living. They hunt down arcade games. So you tell them I want this or this version of this and here's the condition and they will go track it down for you. So I was like, awesome, awesome, awesome. Then I found out it's based in the UK. So disappointing for me, but awesome for people in the UK. Just, you know, personally disappointing. Then I started looking at their prices. <laughs> they uh -oh. are ridiculously, crazily, offensively expensive. Like <laughs> most of their games run somewhere between 1,200 and 2,000 pounds oh, wow. a game. 
2,000 pounds sterling a game for not like crazy rare games. We're talking like a decent Donkey Kong. That's 1,400 pounds. Like, is it now? So they might find you a game, but I I just, I was outraged. I couldn't (laughs) believe the prices they want. So it's definitely a premium service for those of whom who would, if you're going to spend that kind of money, you might as well just say, I'm going to have a budget of $750 a month and get all you can arcade to bring me 10 machines. Right. That's all the news I found. So it's the news of disappointment. But at least the North Koreans are doing good. (laughs) Aren't they always? It's a weird week in arcade news, man. Yes, it certainly is. What about feedback? Did people talk back to us or talk back at us? Throw things? We do have some feedback, yes. We talked about Scott Lambert of the Underground Arcade in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Which I'm going to go to and I'm quite excited about. Woohoo! Yay! You're going to be there for the big opening weekend, I think? Is that right? I'll be there for the big opening weekend. I just don't know yet if I can make it for the big opening day. Awesome. But there will be bigness and there will be openness. Well, you will be <laughs> serenaded or something, I think. I, I would assume so. I hope there will be some. <laughs> Scott uh, also said, thanks for the mention in podcast number 45 regarding the new fees for Twin Galaxies recognition. Now, remember, I whined and complained about this last week. I think I joined you in that uh, whining and that complaint. Vociferously for them charging four high score submissions now. Uh, Scott has an opinion on that. He says, regarding the new fees... There certainly is some effort to refereeing a score. You've probably seen Bob Ruchek talk about it in Chasing Ghosts, and I was told the, the mm-hmm. f- I was told the fee covers a recognition document. It's understandable that TG, being a for-profit business, would want to cover their costs or recoup some of the outlay of owning the TG brand. Having met Richie Knuckles, I don't get a sense that they're trying to gouge players, but more to manage the signal to noise. It's a rare occurrence that you actually have a player capable of achieving a recognition-worthy score. And Scott made... Uh, all very good points there, and I do agree with pretty much everything you said. Yeah, but do we want to take reasonable stances? Do we want to start doing that? Don't you think we should stay unreasonable and be known for what we're best at? I'm going to take the reasonable stance here, and then I'm going to let you fly off a handle here. Woohoo! Bring me a handle. I want to go fly. Go right ahead, Garrett. Uh, actually, I kind of agree with everything <laughs> Takes the wit out of my grumbly sails. I mean, it is true. It's just one of those things in my mind when I first heard about it. All I could think was just to submit a score and rather them turn around and say, nope, not good enough. You get nothing, but thanks for the money. I sort of had it in my mind that anybody whose last name is Knuckles, of course he's going to do that. Come on. (laughs) It's the name. It's my prejudice. (laughs) So these are issues that I have to deal with. Well, and I've met Richie as well. I met him at (laughs) Comic-Con. And and like Scott says, he's – okay, so he's a really driven type A – personality type and he's got his fingers in a thousand pots i really don't get the impression that he's trying to steal money from anybody Nah, i probably not but let's spread the rumor that he is <laughs> yeah is that slander or is that the other one <laughs> does it really matter when the court documents come whether it says slander or libel? i need to know how to file it is it s or l my files right. are getting too full so that that does make sense and and mm-hmm. i'm cheap and, and lazy and so when something that used to be free now costs money i get angry about it and then i rage and then somebody comes in and says something reasonable like that and i go and i feel bad and go oh scott has some other things to say that we will probably talk about in an upcoming episode mm-hmm. or two but we're not ready to discuss that yet Ooh, that sounds exciting and secret it does it's a secret that i'm not maybe you'll tell me about it no i'm not telling you either <laughs> awesome uh eggs Eggs. We actually are still getting feedback about eggs. I'm not surprised. Really good game. And I think a lot of people like us had never heard of it before. It is exciting to get introduced to a new really good game. What surprises me, though, is that usually the feedback stops after the next week. Maybe it's the case that our last show was so boring. Well, (laughs) People are like, you know, they're going to skip it and just keep giving feedback on the show (laughs) before that. 
Chris Hafner wrote, fantastic, I fired up eggs last night and had a blast, even though I am terrible at this game and haven't yet made it past the first screen. Yes, I had that problem as well, Chris. Yep. Throwing your eyes truly never gets old. It doesn't. It's the best thing. That That's the moment I got totally hooked when I realized I could press this and throw my eyes. But yeah, I'm in. So yeah, and that uh, fits pretty much all the feedback we've been getting about eggs, that the people really like it and it's really hard. Yeah, it is. It's good. It's hard. It's really such a shame that as far as I can tell, it basically didn't get released. Yeah. Like even the fellow, you had found that one guy who had an eggs listed on, uh, on Clove or something like this. One of the guys who had it. And then he wrote back to that by Marco that you had asked him about the eggs board that he has. Right. And he had written back. It says, uh, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. My, my average knowledge is referring to the PCB. I repaired some years ago and not to the game. And my PCB is a bootleg too. So even he doesn't have a real one. I wow. swear nobody actually has this thing. No cabinets, no real boards, nothing. This game does not exist, and yet we're all playing it. Of course, last week's game, Rampage, was much more well-known and obviously very popular with a lot of our listeners. We got some pretty good feedback here on the Facebook page. I'm not going to read all of it um, because we'll be here until midnight. I really enjoy the Facebook interaction, though. I've never been a huge Facebook fellow. Like, I'm old enough and curmudgeonly enough (laughs) that I... It's hard for me to think of Facebook as anything other than, oh, it's AOL again. Right. Like, I, w- I was oh, here yeah, before. Definitely. I didn't like it then. Uh, and But I, I get dragged into it. And so when I forget the rest of Facebook and I just look at the little couple of communities on Facebook I'm interested in hanging out in, then I can start to see, oh, it's, it's Genie again. I can go even older <laughs> and start to see it that way. And then I, it opens up and it seems more fun to me. So like the, uh, there's a couple of Apple II community things and I'm keen on those and, and retro game playing and of course our podcast gathering site. And, and I just love it when people that listen to our show go on there and post anything. It's like, give us a like, give us a dislike, whatever. But the fact that they give us any sort of little feedback, like anything that facilitates that and encourages that, even just somebody wants to write, hey, like I listened to your show, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I just, I love hearing that stuff. So I really appreciate that people take the time to do it. Yeah, I do too, for the most part. I take exception to, to some of the things that are posted on there. I mostly just post bad things about you though. You do, You yes, should be used yeah. to it by now. Certainly, certainly trashed me on that Galaga score, my goodness. And then there was a huge bandwagon, like within an hour. You dicks, I hate you all. Anyway. <laughs> Everyone's banned. <laughs> Mike's is going to podcast no, himself. No, I'm not banning, I'm just not trash talking. I'm taking that away from them. What? I'm taking the trash talk away. No more. I'm done. I'm trash talking. I'm going to trash talk you about and trash talking. And you will talking. be ignored. <laughs> oh, not, not, <laughs> I, you think you'll ignore me. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> Wait, what happened to Carrington on the web page, on the Facebook page? He's not listed there anymore. <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> Cinecaster wrote several paragraphs here, and this is actually a rather depressing message. So I don't know. Oh. Well, it, it ends up – okay, the, and maybe I'm misinterpreting here, but the final paragraph, he's talking about the insert coin to continue era of games and and how in today's – Emulation and free play, continuing and playing games just doesn't mean anything anymore because you're not spending any money, which makes sense. But he wraps up saying, not only does continuing over and over render high scores meaningless, but MAME effectively provides you with a bottomless pit of virtual credits in your pocket. Together, these two things conspire to form a shell of gaming, a shell of a gaming experience that has no stakes whatsoever. Only mindless button mashing. To each their own, I guess. But for me, no stakes means no fun. You know what? That is applicable to the game that we're going to be talking about this week, so (laughs) well-timed. But also, I can totally see where he's coming from. Absolutely, because I have have also found that on 
on games that previously would grip me and challenge me, challenge me sometimes on MAME, they don't. And, I, and, and it took me a while to realize that part of it was the fact that there is no cost to it, that you can just play, uh, oh, whatever, here's 10,000 quarters and just go. And so I will get to the end of games that I would, Ghost and Goblins, like I can see the end of that game. That's a game that I never would see the end of if there was quarters involved. There's no chance. And so I get that it's, there. there's a, one of your presidents, one of the ones that wore a really big hat, I think he said <laughs> what we achieve too easily, we esteem too lightly, something like that. He probably said it with more highfalutin language than I'm using, but something along those lines. Like, and if you don't work for it, if you don't pay for it. So I totally get where Sinecaster is coming from, that if you take away that the cost completely, then it does take away games that we're building upon that as an as an element it takes away the, the value. And I, and I know it's also the case that when people pay for things, a lot of times they like them more because you sort of have to justify in your mind that you paid for it. So if like, well, I spent money, I'm, I must like it because I spent money. Otherwise I'm an idiot. So that can happen. And it's also the case in other media. Like there's some movies that I loved as a kid and I'm old enough that movies used to be just plays. No, <laughs> movies, <laughs> movies, were things that I would watch when they would come on television. You know, I might have had a VCR, but mostly. So I would watch movies like like Hopscotch, uh, which I love, but also things like Hawk the Slayer. Hawk the Slayer is a movie that I loved all through high school. And it's this cheesy uh, Dungeons and Dragons type movie that Channel 7 here in Toronto City TV would play, you know, once or twice a year. It would come on at two in the morning on, on a Thursday. And I'm like, Hawk oh, the Slayer's on and I'm staying up. And so I would stay up and I would watch this. And I, and I loved it. And now I own it on DVD and I can watch it anytime I want. And I don't really watch it that much. And partly it's because I have it and I can watch it anytime I want. So it's a little less special. The same sort of psychology is behind, I think, having 20,000 MAME games on your one computer. And it's like, oh, I can play it. And so you, you pile through them and maybe not appreciate them as much. So maybe it's just about slowing down a little. Maybe it's about doing what you and I do each week where we play for high score and you don't get to continue. You're not allowed to put in more than one quarter. You put one, that's what you play, that's what you get. So you can generate your own stakes. Also, Cinecaster could send us a quarter every time he wants to play a game. <laughs> it would solve his problems. It would solve some of our little tiny problems. I'd be happy with that. So what I'm gathering from all of this, and especially what you said at the end, was was very important that you know when we, well, when we drop... A virtual quarter into MAME, we play until the lives are gone, and then that's that's the score that we get. That's what you get. And yes. unfortunately, that means that we're going to have to bring back trash talk a mere minutes after I canceled it. <laughs> Darn you, Carrington. I bring just back. can't win. Trash, trash yeah, well, talk away. Well, the trash talk is it. what provides the value for the gaming experience for us. So This is true. Well, this and, is very I, true. Yeah, and like you said, the president person thing said, if, if it doesn't have value, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, so I, I totally get where Cinecaster is coming from. I, I haven't found that that's been as much of a problem for me, but I totally understand what he's saying, and I do think it it can be an issue and something to stay on guard against. Yeah, I don't really th try to think about it that much. I play the games. I enjoy them. Some more than others. Some I never play again. It's more this anyway. What we're doing here is more about the experience of of sharing a gaming experience, not only with you, but with our listeners and, and having mm -hmm. a good time talking about it and participating in the feedback and, and the community that we've that's that's enjoying this along with us totally and i do know that like a lot of times the scores that i have when we're when we're talking about our scores in this are 
embarrassingly low. <laughs> Partly because I will be coming fresh to a game I haven't played for a while. I'll only have a little bit of time to play that week and play a game. And I'll be like, uh-oh, that, well, that's as good as I did on my one quarter. And I can't continue. And then that's fine. Like, it's, that's okay for me. And, and I do enjoy that more than if I sat down and said, oh, I'm just going to keep hitting five and give myself infinite continues. Um, and of course, lots of games don't let you continue. Or you can continue, but it resets your score. And some games just get so hard that it's not worth continuing. And some games, if you're me, you just keep playing until you beat Carrington's high score, even though it's no longer it no longer matters. <laughs> matters to you. But I did. And, and that's all matters. that matters. Yeah. You did. You did trounce my score. <laughs> and the thing is, my score in Galaga was uh, I got super lucky score. So I can't really come back and do better again. <laughs> I, don't, I was lucky to get it once. Well, no, actually, so, that, that, that time when, when you hit that mysterious kill screen, you were approaching it again because you were doing really well. You had like five or six ships. And, when the power uh, suddenly And then suddenly the screen went black. I don't understand what happened. I don't understand either. It was pretty funny, though. <laughs> uh, Ryan Vix, uh, who I think is one of the participants over at Atari Age. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not um, organized enough mentally to figure out which one he is. I'm sorry, Ryan. He wrote in with something that's more positive and and happy and funny, so I'm going to share that as well. He says, uh, always a favorite. After each round, I always chose Lizzie. I held down the punch button and hit up on the joystick to fist bump the sky in victory. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well done. Yes. Nice. Very good. You know what? I'm going to start doing that myself. That's great. And Lizzie is a perfectly reasonable and excellent choice of character. <laughs> George would also be acceptable. But but not Ralph. But not Ralph. I'm still saying that is a ridiculous character. And it's wrong to play him. And Vintage Volts, I think, agrees with you as well. He says, if you believe it's a little odd to see a werewolf in the game, then let's call it by what it really is, a were-ralph. That's true. It's a were-ralph. And it's just wrong. And I think that um, I think that wraps up kind of what we were going to talk about with feedback. Oh, I do have a, an error that needs to be corrected here. Uh-oh. What was I wrong about? Was I wrong about the cabinet? No, no. Mike stated that Rampage ran on the, the Midway MCR3 board using a Z80 as a CPU. And I'd just like to say that he was very wrong about this. And I <laughs> he is saying that he was wrong. And I and several other listeners wrote in with our righteous indignation and let him know that it was actually the Midway MCR monoboard with an 8 megahertz M68000 that powers the heart of Rampage. I saw that right after we published, you put yourself straight on Facebook. You, you sure told you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Way to take that credit. I will. Put in that quarter. You betcha. And let's drop a quarter into our next game. And what an awful segue that was. Well, there's a good segue in that we were just talking about Vintage Volts, who uh, is, uh, I think he's done this before, but every once in a while I try to look for who's my favorite way somebody's revealed that they know the next game. And I liked it on Facebook. He put, so you've decided to do a podcast on the game that was, quote, lost in a, quote, cavern of antiquity. Beware the possible, quote, pitfalls with this game incorrectly stating its hardware configuration, comma, two. <laughs> so well done figuring out that this game is Pitfall 2, The Lost Caverns. So awful. So, so wonderful. I'm only trashing him because he trashed me. So, Oh, well, then that's fair. Trash for trash. So Pitfall 2, Mike, tell me about it. Just last night, I was lost in the jungle with Pitfall Harry, surrounded by giant scorpions and man-eating crocodiles. Well, Harry and I just grabbed the van, swung through the trees, and over the tar pits and found the jungle treasure. It was really neat. If you haven't met Pitfall Harry, you're missing the year's most incredible video game adventure. Pitfall for the Atari 2600 and in television. Since I met Pitfall Harry... No other man will do. Pitfall, designed by David Crane for Activision. 
The original Pitfall game was an Atari 2600 title cartridge. One of the all-time greats. One of the, one of the favorites. All of my friends had this game, and they all played it obsessively when it came out. Were your friends like me, wondering if they could just get good enough to get to the end? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I, and I never... Young Carrington just assumed he could do that. <laughs> I didn't have a 2600, and so I didn't get to play it, except when... Uh, one of my friends took pity on me and let me play for five minutes before he yanked the joystick back. So you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <clears throat> so I don't have the sentimental attachment to this to this franchise that I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I totally do. Pitfall, the original game on the 2600, was programmed by, I want to say, David Crane. Is that right? Yes, I think it's David Crane as well. And he was a prolific game author, wrote many, many games, co-founded Activision, one of the Atari programmers that quit to, to go make Activision. And this mm -hmm. is one of his games. And this was a this was very popular. People loved it. Sega came along a couple of years after this game was released and said, we would like to make an arcade version of it. And so they licensed it from Activision. And rather than doing a port or a code conversion, they started completely over. And they called it Pitfall 2, The Lost Caverns, and rewrote the code base from byte zero. Yeah, it's kind of strange in that, and that this game is sort of like, I guess, meshes Pitfall and Pitfall 2. Because it even comes after Pitfall 2 on the... The 2600. So this is the first time we're playing a game where instead of saying, hey, this arcade game got ported to the Atari 2600, this is kind of more like this Atari 2600 game found its way into the arcade. Yeah, that that was sort of a, a, a rarish, I guess, example of that happening. Mm -hmm. um, the only one, other ones that I can think of off the top of my head were a, a Choplifter, a Load Runner, and one called Boulder Dash. Yep. That, that all in, that all started either on the console or the home computer and then went to the arcade after that. And this one runs under, to just jump ahead a bit about hardware, it runs under Sega System 8, which is also the system that ran Choplifter. Mm -hmm. So the same Sega system runs system both. System 1, I think. I say 8. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't think so. Oh, probably not, but I can give people a reason to write in. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> I still think it's 8. <laughs> I think it's Sega System 1. You think so? I do. Do you really think so? I do. Do you continue to think so if I just keep asking you? I, I will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is there actually such thing as Sega System 8? I may have made that up. I think you did. But let's talk about the gameplay first before we get into the <laughs> I can't hear you. I'm down this rat hole. Don't, don't <laughs> All right, ladies and fight. gentlemen, he's going to go do his thing, and I'm just going to talk about the game here. Carrington may or may not join us for the rest of the show. I don't know. <laughs> so bye-bye. What have you got left? Pitfall was based around a character called Pitfall Harry, who was obviously an Indiana Jones ripoff. And, and in fact... How dare you say such things, sir? In fact, in level two, there is a minecart chase scene that was lifted directly from the Temple of Doom. I think it went the other way around. Unlike Indiana Jones, though, Pitfall Harry has no defense or no offense. It's all defense. It's all running away, jumping over things and onto other things. Pitfall 2 is a side-scroller, sort of. Sure. It, it, yep. Well, in that it doesn't... It's a side-scrolling platform, except that it doesn't it doesn't continuously scroll. So you're on a static screen until you reach the edge of the screen, and then everything pauses while it moves to the left or the right or up or down to get you into the next area. When I booted this up in MAME, I'd never played this in the arcade, and I only knew of its existence as an arcade game. I'd never... I, I, already, I knew of its existence, but hadn't played it in MAME. So when I dropped the virtual quarter, the virtual meaningless quarter into this, it looked a lot to me like if... Sega had made a Mario Brothers title, this is what it would have looked like. Because I had the exact same feeling and exact same thought. 
we are on the same page, you and I. That's no fun. Our listeners don't like it. I mean, I totally disagree with you. That's better. (laughs) Don't forget to call me a moron. (laughs) Because I'm in the same situation. I knew Pitfall had played it on the 2600 and loved it. I knew Pitfall 2 had played it a tiny bit on the 2600, but never owned it, so I hadn't played it much. And I had never, ever played this in the arcade. So this is my first time firing up the arcade version. And in playing it, I thought, this is... This is a Nintendo game. <laughs> this, should, this should be on Play Choice. This is totally like a Goonies type game or something, which isn't a bad thing. Like, but my, it took me a while to accept this as an arcade game because I kept thinking this isn't an arcade game. This is a this is a, this is an NES game. This is a home game. Kind of looks like it in the in the graphics, the play, everything. I felt like I'm playing a home NES game, even with the timer. I was like, this is not like a normal arcade game. So I was really reluctant at first to sort of give this a chance. I thought, aha, we're going to have a, a, a podcast where I'm going to be quite negative about this game. But then somehow it won me over. I got thinking of it more like Goonies, which is a game I love in arcade. And I just started enjoying it. I started getting good at it. I thought, and I was like, you know what? I, I'm having fun playing this thing, trying to get as far as I can. What I didn't like about it is this game is very much designed to be a continue game. Like you get so much oh, time, yes. but you also have men and you can lose them. And it's linear that there's these four levels you're going through. I only got to see into the middle of level two, but there are four levels. And so you're playing a, a, a it's, it's a Mario game. It's like, you know, go on to level two, right. go on to level three. So when you die and your, your timers run out, it's really tempting to put another quarter in and not say, oh no, I'll go back to the beginning and start again. So I found it very frustrating to not be able to just continue this, this week. I sort of had the same experience. I didn't care quite as much, I think, as you did. The only reason that I didn't immediately go in in my head go, this is a home platform game, is one, I didn't have a home I didn't have a console growing up, so I didn't get to see a lot of Atari and Nintendo games. Is that because consoles were the tools of Satan? Oh absolutely. Because consoles are the tools of Satan. They are. And the fact that we had recently played Flicky and the graphics in this reminded me a lot of, of Flicky. Oh, good call. They kind of do. Yeah. It's sort of the, and it's sort of a Sega trademark I'm seeing with the, with their earlier titles, you know, the ones that maybe not, didn't do as well as some of the later ones. The colors were, you know, very bright and cartoony. And in fact, I think the death sound, one of the, okay. So when, when Pitfall Harry dies, Depending on how he dies, there's different sounds that you hear. It's mm-hmm. not the same death sound over and over, but one of the sounds I, I'm pretty sure is the same sound as Flicky dying. Interesting. And you're right about the colors. They right away, one of my first reactions to this game, like when I just I booted up and you're, I'm looking at having even started playing, I'm just seeing the the layout and I'm seeing the character with his sort of strong black outline almost. And I was I really didn't like it at first. I was like, what what is this? Like this look just seemed way too 16-bit era video game at home. Uh, just it didn't look like something I'm supposed to put quarters in. It looked like something I'm supposed to just pop a cartridge in and this is what you get. Like this game is like like Wonder Boy. And Wonder Boy also to me has always felt that kind of way. Like it feels like I should have an NES controller in my hand, not not buttons on a on a arcade. So it took a while for this game to win me over. Absolutely. For all these reasons. I don't know that it ever got to that point for me where it completely won me over as I was playing it. It felt like it felt a lot like this. It felt a lot like pitfall two was created to capitalize on nostalgic 2600 owners who wanted to kind of relive that glory, but in the arcade with better graphics and sound. I don't know if there was really such a thing as arcade uh, nostalgia, in 1983, <laughs> but if there point. was, um, that's sort of, I, I think that's kind of, it was designed to suck more quarters out of those people's pockets. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't get very far in the game just because I'm not good at platformers and, and oh God, the, the vine jumps. Oh, drove me insane. <laughs> I have a terrible time timing those. And there's enough time between when you start level one and when you finish level one, there are enough places where I could accidentally die that by the time I got to the end, I was almost immediately wiped out. Right. So I didn't get far. And when I did die, then it felt like kind of a sort of a boring experience to have to play through a lot of really easy screens just to get back to where I was before. Because there's a lot of like run and then you wait for the scorpion, you jump over and then you run across and that's the end of that screen. Or you duck under the dragon and and jump over one of the little holes and then you're on the next screen. But you can't just quickly move between the screen. You you have to sit there and watch Harry run across the screen. and, And it sort of got repetitive early on in the game. So like the logs that roll at you on those screens, you never have to jump over those because there is always a square in the middle and you can always that beat you the can, logs. You can all, yeah, it's, it's funny. I started learning the same thing. You eventually go, hold on, as long as I just start immediately running right, if there's logs coming, you'll make it to that middle ladder right just before the logs. So certain things you realize, oh, those logs are now no longer a thing I'm worried about. So at least early on in the game, it, it this it didn't feel there wasn't much challenge except for the very difficult screen. There were like one or two really hard ones for me, and the rest was was easy. And yet I just I got tired of having to play through it over and over again. The scoring system in this works differently than I think all the other versions of the game. Home console versions, you get points for jumping over things and you get points for for doing stuff right. Here you get points for just being alive right it's just you have a you have a, a you have two things you have your score that just starts at zero and counts up by an increment of 10 and it goes up fairly quickly i mean not not crazy or anything and you have a timer that starts at three minutes and counts down and every- i did find that weird because i was playing the game and realizing so i've got a number that's just going down if i don't do anything it goes down and that's my time and i've got a number that's just going up and if i don't do anything it goes up that's my score so basically this is a game where it's like three minutes to get to 300 scores go and you just wait <laughs> so part of that part of the score is essentially meaningless because it really just is you're going to get it this is how long you lived well yeah when you get the treasures you get what i think it's a thousand points and it adds 30 seconds back 30 seconds, your time. yeah and at least and they're not just treasures they're big bags of money with the dollar signs on the side, so it's Scrooge McDuck kind of money, which is the best kind <laughs> yes. of money. I wish I could go to a bank, and if you make a withdrawal, they actually gave you the sacks full of money, because I would <laughs> stop using bank machines. Or they should have those, as, like beside the envelopes at the ATM. Mm-hmm. They should have sacks with big dollar signs on the side, like that, and yeah. you put it under, and all the, the money just comes pouring out. Mm, I'm, I'm a That'd fan. Awesome. I'm going to recommend that at my credit union next week. Absolutely. The sacks of cash are spread close enough to each other throughout at least the first level or two that you never have to worry about running out of time unless you just want to stand there and let the counter drop down to create some sort of artificial feeling of, of urgency because there really isn't any. The music it was very tedious and repetitive and it wasn't interesting enough. There wasn't enough variation there to to not drive me insane and so I ended up just having to pump up the uh, the arcade ambience and, and turn down the volume because it just drove me nuts. I, I hated it. I hated the music in this game. I didn't hate it, but I didn't dig it. And I too found that after playing for a bit, because I played this game actually quite a bit this week, I finally turned off sound completely in MAME and I just played music. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I gave it my own soundtrack. And it turns out that it's a really good soundtrack selected well, from my personal web. It is. It's crazy because well, I guess we can talk about the music now. If you go to just YouTube and search for Pitfall 2 music, there's a lot of people who really like the music to this game. I found a couple of videos that were very interesting. One was called Leap of Faith, an excerpt from Pitfall 2 Overture, and the other was called Opening Excerpt from Pitfall 2 Overture. And these were put up there by a user called Lunatech, 
um, video or something like you Lunatech page, uh, and they have their own web page called lunatechteq.net. And it sounds like somebody was actually going so far as to completely rescore the Pitfall 2 um, soundtrack with a real symphony. There's only like 30 seconds or a minute of music from each one, but they actually sounded really beautiful. Yeah, so there's an acoustic guitar suite thing that somebody did. A theme remix Famicom 8-bit style of the Pitfall 2 music. People are really, really into the music, and I don't know why it drove me nuts. I just it was repetitive, and I couldn't couldn't take it for very long. And I'm sure I'll get plenty of emails from from our listeners telling me exactly why I was wrong. <laughs> there is a site um, gamesdbase.com mm-hmm. that uh, just lists lots of game things, but it's particularly geared towards the Sega SG1000 the home console system that was in Japan. And they have a lot of info on, on the sale. I'll make sure that we have a link to both the sites we're just talking about right now in the show notes. And they have a link all about Pitfall 2 on the SG-1000. And they, too, one of the big links they have is you can download the music in MP3 format. So also really keen on the, on the tunes. I, I'm i with you. I found it repetitive. I, uh, it was okay in a, I, at the beginning, and it was appropriate for the game. But eventually I was like, okay, I can't take that anymore because it's a long <laughs> game, and you're hearing the same stuff over and over. I think that was that sort of spoiled my whole experience. Um, the fact that it was it was repetitive and you had to work a lot just to get back to where you were before sometimes. And I think you you hit the nail on the head, Carrington. I know that's weird for me to say, but because I'm quite the carpenter. Yes, you are. And well, just me agreeing with you on anything is is <laughs> very very odd. But so I must be wrong. <laughs> but. It's designed to make it painful enough to have to play through from the beginning again that you'll want to drop more quarters into it. Oh, sure. But I think the game is designed not even so much to punish you. I'm less cynical than you. <laughs> I think it's simply designed to be a game that's going to say you're not you don't want to start again. The whole point of this game is try to get through all four levels. We're going to make it pretty much impossible to do on one quarter. So it's a game designed to say rather than a game that you'll play quickly. You get a two-minute Galaga game for your quarter. Instead, we're going to make this a 15-minute game, but it's going to cost you a buck and a half. Makes sense. Yeah. I did did drop a couple of quarters in to do the continue thing. 
Uh, just cheater, to, cheater, <laughs> cheater. Of course. I wanted to see what the game was like further on. And I also I'm going the, to see what the game, I, I didn't this week, but I'm interested enough that I'm going to go back and actually try to get further. And I watched a couple of playthrough videos on YouTube. If you don't actually want to play, you can watch other people play I through it. I want to play. And it does. I want you to watch <sighs> me play. Oh, I, on my way. I'll be out in the car right now. <laughs> it's very, the, the game looks like it does pick up a lot, especially once you get down through the little ice caverns. In yeah, level that's two. where I died. Level two gets bonkers. It does. And then, then once you get into the, to the minecart chase, it get, it looks like it gets crazy. And I just, I'm sitting watching this and I'm wondering how many times you have to play through one of these screens to figure out just what to do. Because when you come into one of the, come into the screen, there's so many things going on and the carts moving and, and you got the dragons flying at you. I, I imagine that people who are good at this game spend a lot of money. Now that could just be my bitterness at not being good at this video no, game. No, I think you're right. I think because what, and it would be a pot odds thing. Like you've, you've spent a couple, you've spent like maybe 25, 50 cents and you've got yourself deep into level two, but now you, you've, you've invested. And the last thing you want to do is walk away now because you'd have to start the game all over again next time. So even though you, I think you're going to start to die faster and faster and faster, I know at the point that I kept dying, my high score represents like the same place I got to every time I played. I'm at, I'm now at the point where I can get to basically the same place in the game and I can't get past it. And for me to continue, I would have to, if it was a real arcade machine, I have to keep putting quarters in to figure out how to get past this one part of the level. And it's probably like you have to pay. It's almost like a a, a modern iPhone game where where it's free to play, but then you unlock bits with, with in-app purchases. It's like pay $2 to get past this frog. <laughs> it's like a pitfall. And it's just, uh, sometimes I really want to pay the $2 because I just, Oh, the point where I die is very frustrating because I'll feel it that I'm getting there because it's mm-hmm. about, I think I'm around halfway through, it's what feels like about halfway through level two. I'm not sure. I get to that same part where I'm, there's a, a series of levels where you're going to climb ladders and go taller and higher and higher and higher. There's all these little frogs and I keep dying. This is, so I'll get to the base of that and start crawling up and go, Oh yeah, good. My game's about to end again. <laughs> so I get all negative because I see it coming and then my game does indeed Aww. end again. It's very frustrating <laughs> every is. time the same place. Well, I don't know. Like, I'm very cynical, and I think they did this intentionally. Obviously, you didn't. I'm very whimsical. Getting back to the sound again for just a second, there was a lot of inconsistencies in the game that kind of took me out of that experience, too. So you have the, the, the happy, repetitive music that drives you insane playing over and over and over. And I guess maybe to give you a, a break, there are a couple of screens. And like in level one, you run in, and it's a volcano, and suddenly the music goes away. And these lava things are falling on you and you're hearing the, the volcano explode. And there's another one that's shooting lightning bolts at you. And that's what you hear until you drop through the hole in the middle. And then it's blue skies above and the lightning's gone. And you're right back to the music. So I found that kind of weird, actually. I thought that was a weird programming thing. I thought the lightning and the, and the, that should keep going even when you go down the hole because you're still on the same screen. It shouldn't stop above you just because you've dropped down in the hole. I totally agree. Right. And when you jumped on the vine, it would play this other weird music over the music that was playing uh, that didn't seem to really fit that well. I think it was doing that because of the pitfall, the original pitfall cart. It's kind of most famous for that on the vine sound that it makes when you well, swing. And so I think they wanted to try to capture that. And that's interesting because the soundtracks, if you compare them, they're actually different. Uh, the, the original. It's an homage. Yeah. There's original cartridge on the Atari. The music kind of, after a few minutes of it being happy or whatever, it sort of slows down and, and gets a little bit darker and then picks back up again where this is just the same four or eight bars or whatever it is repeating over and right. over. 
It does. It's very repetitive music. I'm with you on that. I'm not a fan of this game. If it wasn't, if it, was, if it wasn't free to play in MAME, I wouldn't play. I would not have played this very long in the arcade. I'm probably not going to play it again after we talk about it. I, I am. Don't hate it that much. It's just sort of a. Eh, I wish it. Had, I wish it had been better. Yeah, it's it's definitely no um, Satan of Saturn or something ridiculous. And I think as well, like for a while, I I started wondering. Is this something like when we played Buck Rogers, I, I got the impression that what Sega had done then was they had a game and then they decided we could get more money if we slapped the Buck Rogers name on here. Right. And so they just licensed the name, put it on. But the game wasn't really Buck Rogers. It was just a generic space thingy. And here I started wondering, like, it's weird that this would be a, a home system. Like, it's already out on the 2600 and the 5200 was on the Apple II. It was on ClickoVision. It's C64. It's, it's PC, ZX Spectrum. It's all of these. And then they say... Now let's put it out in the arcade. Is it that they just had this game and then somebody realized, well, dude, you're going to get sued. That is way too close to Pitfall. <laughs> but it, it is so much, so clearly an actual Pitfall game that I think it was something. They just came late to the party and decided they wanted to do it. But I think they could have done it better. I think they could have done it with better music. I don't know, some other method of score, like make it more arcadey. I think it should have been more like Circus Charlie, which is the same sort of thing. Right? And it should have been, okay, here's a bunch of vines and you have to get through. It could have been an arcade version of Pitfall, right. not just here's Pitfall with slightly different graphics. So, which didn't feel arcade like when I was playing it. That said, I did actually enjoy playing it. Once I got into the same mindset that I have for things like Goonies, I want to get farther into this. So I think... I'm going to uh, take a page out of Cinecaster's book and I'm going to just embrace the the lack of challenge, <laughs> give myself infinite quarters, because I would like to see how this ends. There's four levels and I'm interested enough that I'd like to get to the end of it. I'm not interested enough to play it so I can get to the end on a single quarter. I'm just not doing that. I would never put that much effort into this game. Embrace but the I hate, am, baby. I think, in, uh, totally, I am going to go back Maybe set it on easy mode because <laughs> there's a few different modes. Uh, you can set how quickly you uh, you get more time. I think I was on the version where you get it at like 100 and then 240 or something. And you can set it so you get like extra time every 30,000 or something. So I might just go, now I don't have to worry about the money bags. I'm really just going for distance and then give myself infinite quarters and see. Cause, and then I think once I finish the game that way, I wouldn't play it again. But I'm going to come back to it for now. Okay. Well, let us know how that goes. I will let you know how it goes. And uh, it turns out the internet says, Mike, there's no such thing as Sega System 8. This was on Sega System 1. Oh, so I don't know what you were talking about. I was about. wrong. I'm sorry, everybody. Jeez, yeah. you were so wrong. Yeah, in fact. So remarkably wrong. I, 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 can't believe, I, I can't believe you were wrong and you used my voice to I do it. I hate it when I do that. I just can't oh, stop myself. It's, it's so annoying. It's, it's an obsessive, compulsive thing that I do. <laughs> I just Every time I, I start talking in Carrington's voice and I'm wrong about stuff. Yep. So would you like to hear about the cabinet in Carrington's well, voice? Well, I'm going to tell you about the board first. Oh, tell me about the board, and I'll tell you what the board went in. <laughs> Let's go inside to out. We'll work our way out. <laughs> Pitfall 2 ran on the system, the Sega System 1 platform. <laughs> one? Oh, now you say <laughs> one. Yes, the Sega System oh, 1 boy. platform. Incorrigible. Along with a handful of other games, including Flicky, um, which is probably why they looked and sounded oh. like each other. Okay, yeah. And Wonder Boy, I think, did too, in, on the same board. It fe This feels very Wonder boy -y. It used a Z80, I'm sorry, a Z80 chip. Thank you. <laughs> uh, at four megahertz for the main CPU. Another one rated at the same speed. 
For the sound CPU, it used the SN76496 at 4 oh. megahertz for the sound chip, and two more of those SN chips at 2 megahertz for the sound. That's a lot of megahertz combined. There's a lot going on for this game. Wow. Featured the standard video resolution of 256 by 224 in a vertical layout. All right. No. In a horizontal layout. I was going to say, is this a vertical? Wow. I would have thought horizontal. So it is. Okay. And this is not to be confused with the Sega Model 1 hardware, which was released in the 1990s and, and was used in games like Star Wars Arcade and Virtual Fighter. I will not confuse those. Now, Carrington. Now, Carrington, Mike, tell me about Mike, the cabinet. The, my favorite part about this cabinet and my favorite part, on, if we're going to stay with the inside for a bit, is that there are 28 different coin settings. What? With the different dip switches, Shocking. like most arcade games, you can set it to say, do you want it to be like one credit or two credit per coin? Or even say, I want it to be a 50 cent game, two coins for one credit. This lets you set 28 different combinations My from goodness. free play. You can have one for one. You can have one coin equals six credits. You can have five coins give you three credits. Six coins give you four credits. You could do five coins to start, but then you get six credits for doing like these all bizarre combinations and i think that's just delightful i don't know what they were thinking man it's just crazy but now the cabinet itself my first impression of the cabinet because i've never seen this in real life so i'm going from videos and flyers and photos online of, of collectors who have this it is a highly purple cabinet it is a remarkably purple cabinet. It just didn't seem like a purple game to me, but it's a purple cabinet. Well, technically, right. it's a black cabinet, but it has a purple bezel and a purple control panel and just, you know, says, hello, I am purple. I to like me. purple and it's got a, Sure, me too. And it's got a big Pitfall 2 logo on the top with a scorpion and a guy sinking in quicksand. We can just see his head and some hands up. So that's very, very appropriate for the game, I think. It really says... It says the, the pitfall. It's got the typical, you know, single joystick and one button. Because like you said, all you do is jump. There's no offense here. There's only run away. It's run away, the game. <laughs> so um, the cab itself to me seems just overall kind of generic. Like the logo is not great looking. And there's this, the official pitfall flyer that was put out from Sega in 85 to promote this game has the worst art ever. Like it's got this cover art. <laughs> With this guy who's supposed to be the Indiana Jones, you know, our Piffle Harry guy. But he's drawn all out of proportion. His head and his hands are way too big for his body. And it's really, really amateurishly drawn. You look at it and think, wow, that's that's what you use? Like, it's just just terrible artwork. Like, And the same is kind of true of the cabinet. Like, the the marquee and the, the bezel, the art is not great. And it's just a big blue, aqua blue um, Sega words on the side. It's just not a very exciting cabinet. And also, it just looks slapped together. So I I give the cabinet itself a total thumbs down. I, I like the game more than you, but the cabinet that comes in is just a total, total no for me. Surprisingly, though, it goes for quite a bit of coin. Like, I found a bunch of people in the last couple of years have sold them online. Obviously, you can get them through places like that find an arcade dot expensive dot I can't believe how much you're spending dot com site where it's like two billion pounds. Most of the time, this seems to go for anywhere from three hundred all the way up to six hundred dollars for these cabinets if you're not buying them through one of those places wow. that sells everything for fifteen hundred. So, for some reason, this seems to you know really command a bunch of money, and I don't know why because it's not a super rare cabinet there's nothing going on here you can't do in mame it's not a pretty cabinet it doesn't have a great look to it it doesn't have controls that you can't emulate i have no idea why the heck everybody wants five or six hundred dollars for this cabinet but they do and they seem to get it so hmm. that seems crazy to me i would not pay that kind of money especially a game that doesn't really fit in with the rest of the franchise no. you know you're not playing a sequel you're not even playing uh, a remake well i guess you're playing sort of a mashup 
a Sega's interpretation of, yeah. of the game because when you go play the other Pitfall titles, they don't really play or feel like this one does. Yep, totally. So uh, I don't know. I don't know, but it's uh, maybe this is the kind of cabinet that would be perfect for one of those all-you-can arcade things where you rent it and say, you know what, for seventy-five bucks, they'll drop off at your place. You get the real Pitfall experience with the cabinet. You play it for a month with unlimited continues. You get to the end and you say, I'm done. Take it back and bring me Star Wars. Well, I wonder if because uh, this was a the System 1 platform, which also supported a bunch of other games, because I saw a bunch of discussions about how to convert Pitfall 2 to Flicky and other... That would be a good way to go. Other Sega titles on this platform. I wonder if people right. are buying it and turning this into other stuff. Yeah, but then if you're going to do that, why not just do a main cab? Yeah, maybe. But, don't get it. but I can see getting bored of Pitfall 2 in a way that I wouldn't get bored of Flicky. So, yeah, I would convert it over to Flicky. If I had this, I would say, yeah, convert it to Flicky. Mm -hmm. Speaking of conversions, uh, this version of Pitfall 2 only ended up on the SG-1000. Mm -hmm. uh, all the other ports to the home consoles and computers and things like that are ports of the original Activision version. So it's kind of weird. So we start with an Activision cartridge, and that gets ported to the vintage computers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the vintage consoles, Atari's. 2600 and stuff like that. So it starts there, then goes over to the 5200 and the 8-bit and the 8-bit Ataris and the Apple II and stuff. And then separate from that, Sega licenses like the idea and makes this game. And then it's this game that gets ported over to the SG-1000. Right. It's a really odd provenance to this thing. That struck me as, as strange. And in fact, there's a video that the Euphoria Gaming uh, with a Euphoria with an F on YouTube Posted called "Let's Compare Pitfall to the Lost Caverns," and it it's a it's a cut together video of every version of Pitfall Two, a few seconds to maybe a minute of each game. So if you want to see the differences, this video does a great job of showing you. Those are those are good videos. There's a whole series of those those Let's Compare videos, mm -hmm. and they pick a single game and then just show you little bits of all the different versions. And I, I come across those quite a bit on YouTube, and they're well done. I like them. I'll make sure we have a link to that, too. And no discussion about Pitfall would be complete without mention of the Pitfall cartoon series. Let's mention it, and then our discussion of Pitfall will be complete. And then never mention it ever again, because Pitfall Harry made his debut, debut as a character on the animated show CBS Saturday Supercade in 19, Which we have talked about before in we earlier have, episodes. And it was god-awful, and it was god-awful again <laughs> when I rewatched it to see, see Harry's <laughs> appearance. Oh, after the first, that was a really bad show. <laughs> it was after oh. the first season. Uh, Harry was replaced on that show along with Frogger and Donkey Kong. They were replaced by Kangaroo and Space Ace. Several episodes of this are available on YouTube if you really want to torture yourself and sit through it. And because I don't like any of you listeners right now, I'm going to make you listen to some of the cartoon. Here you go. Thank you for making it so easy, Pitfall. Let's go. So take that. They have taken that. Uh, interestingly, David Crane was at the uh, GDC 2011, and he did a Pitfall postmortem, uh, which is available as a video on YouTube, and you can watch that as well. Oh, cool. I'll make sure I, I seek out and a link. And that, that is much better than the cartoon. Definitely worth watching. 
Yeah, the, the postmodernists are great. Well, okay, so my, I've summed up already, and so I'll sum up again. I'll sum up my sum upping and say <laughs> that between the, re the repetition and the, the kind of annoying music, and there were some glitches. So like in level one where you have the four crocodile heads that you have to jump over mm -hmm. in the pool, I don't know if there was a buffer problem, but I consistently ran into a problem where he just wouldn't jump off the last head of the, the alligators or the crocodiles, oh. and I would get eaten. I would never get that problem. Maybe you're more delicious than me. Well, maybe so, or maybe I just suck at the game. The weird sound glitches with the vine stuff and, and volcano screens and the lightning, that it all just sort of took me out of the experience. You know, sometimes when when Harry would die, he'd float up to heaven, and other times he wouldn't. And I Depends just, on whether Harry's been a good boy. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, overall, I just wasn't as good an experience as I'd hoped. It wasn't terrible. I didn't hate it, but I didn't really... I acknowledge what you're saying. <laughs> Why, thank you, Carrington. It's always good to be acknowledged. <laughs> I realize at, I'm beginning to say this way, boy, does this sound patronizing. <laughs> I'll go for it anyway. I acknowledge what you're saying, but too bad. I agree with all of those pitfalls. All of those, <laughs> See what you did there. Oh, I like it. God. Love it. Oh, you, you have to kick me off the show now. You really do. I've reached, I've reached the bottom. Um, so... Like I, the glitches were bugging me. The the music was bugging me. Like I didn't have any of the, the jumping problems you had, but th all these things were bothering me too. Like when a game's music gets so bad, that I'm like, I'm done with it. I got to put on headphones and listen to my own tunes. Mm, like, yeah. And yet still, I don't know. I kind of dug it. Like it just, there's something about it. And I think because I didn't finish it, I'm a sucker for punishment. I want to get farther into this game. So I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to give it a pass. I actually, I actually like it. There's something about this game I dig. Well, Carrington, good luck to you. <laughs> good luck to I you. I will not accompany you on that journey. <laughs> Probably once I finally get to the end, I'll be done with it because it's going to be tough to get there. But I'm going to make a run for it. I'm going to try to see how this thing, if Harry gets the girl. I don't know if there's going to be a girl, but if there is, let's hope Harry gets it. Well, I hope she's not Harry. <laughs> I hope Harry gets the not-so-Harry girl. So that brings us to, and it sounds like you got farther in the game than I did, and, and fortunately I don't care enough to be bothered by I only by got it. into level two, so I didn't get that far. I did too, but I, I usually died in the, the ice caverns. I, I never really made it past that. It sounds like you got further than me. Well, how far did you get, score-wise? Well, I noticed that the score didn't always have to do have a lot to do with where I died, so sometimes I could die much earlier and have a higher score. Ultimately, I only got 41,780 points. Oh, I did much better than mm. you. Huh. Let me have it. Stick it to I, me, Carrington. <laughs> I got 251,230. Wow, you did much better than me. Yeah. Well, I still only got to level two. I'm not sure what it is uh, about the play that would result in that disparity other than maybe you just, because the point counter is constantly running up, maybe you just took longer to get there than I did. And so you, you ran the clock up, the score up higher. I don't know. Congratulations, sir, on a game that I don't care about. Well, I did learn eventually... Here's a tip for those who want to play it, that when the trees have faces, they're going to throw out another money mm -hmm. bag. Yes. So I learned to wait around until they would chuck a money bag at you. And did you get all four of those bags? Maybe. And did, it, did, it, did you find the secret because you got all four of those bags? Oh, then maybe not. <laughs> I think it's different on every level, but at least in the first level, if you got all four of those bags that were chucked at you by the, the trees... Uh, when you got to the end, there was a gold statue of Harry that would give you an extra life. I don't think I got that, so I must have missed the tree. All the times I played this, even knowing to wait for the stupid money trees. Oh, well. Well, maybe you'll have better luck with next week's game. Ooh, why? What does it sound like? <laughs>
Why ever would you ask that, character? Because <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> well, I guess I'll give you a clue right now. So unless you've got anything to add, Carrington, I think that pretty nothing, much nothing could be added. brings us to the end of yet another no-quarter gaming experience. Extravaganza is, I think, the word you were looking for. Awesome. Well, I look forward to beating you at this next one. <laughs> Soundly. I don't think so. I think I got I think I got this one. I'm going to trash talk anyway. Okay, I'm fine <laughs> with that. <laughs> well, thank you for podcasting with me, Mike. And goodbye to the people. <laughs> Talk to you next week. All right. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent to noquarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this show has been released to the public domain. This is. This is Pitfall, the smash hit. The smash hit video game by Activision that everybody wants for the Atari video computer system. With scorpions, tar pits, and rolling logs. With, uh, uh, with underground passages and cobra rattlers. With, uh, with swamps, hungry crocodiles, and lots more. Don't miss Pitfall, the smash hit that everybody wants. Get it before they're all gone. Pitfall, designed by David Crane. Don't miss it.